There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to Murder Mile. A true crime podcast, an audio-guided walk featuring many of London's untold, unsolved and long-forgotten murders, all set within and beyond the West End. Today's episode is about the hunt for the Thames Towpath murderer, a violent serial rapist who attacked lone women in isolated spots in and around Teddington. And yet, going against his own method, he would rape and murder two young girls at the same time. But why? Murder Mile is researched using the original police files. It contains moments of satire, shock, and grisly details. And as a dramatization of the real events, it may also feature loud and realistic sounds. So that, no matter where you listen to this podcast, you'll feel like you're actually there. My name is Michael. I am your tour guide. And this is Murder Mile. Episode 109, The Thames Towpath Murders, Part 3. Today, I'm standing on Sandy Lane in Esher, Surrey, 15 miles southeast of the rape of Patricia Birch in Great Windsor Park, 8 miles south of the double murder of Barbara Songhurst and Christine Reed at Teddington Lock, one road north of the rape of 14-year-old Kathleen Ringham on Oxshot Heath, and just a few feet from the spot where police would pick up a possible suspect for all three attacks. Sandy Lane isn't famous, vital, or even a place of historical importance. It's little more than a two-laned, tree-lined country road connecting the A244 on the northeast corner of Oxshot Heath to another insignificant little spot called Miles Lane. Being posh, secluded and selective about who they let live here, Sandy Lane is encircled by country houses, golf courses and a tennis club. But strictly no shops. As shops mean visitors, visitors mean riffraff. And riffraff means an infestation of poor people, all dressed in tracksuits, who take selfies outside of brick-built tax dodges and wolf down a fistful of muck food into the mugmouth of their mugbastard. 
There's not much to see or do, and very few reasons to be here. There's a heath, a small train station, and a single road in the middle of the woods. It's so remote, you can only get here by train, car, or bike. But why would you? Unless you were fleeing from a rape scene and seeking another victim. As it was here, on Wednesday the 17th of June 1953, at roughly 6.30pm, that a very plausible suspect for all three attacks was caught. And yet the police almost let him slip through their fingers. Twenty eighth of june nineteen sixty three, four thirty PM Statement by Alfred Charles Whiteway Three weeks ago I went for a ride on my cycle to see a friend in Englefield Green. I couldn't see her, so I went to Windsor Great Park. As I was cycling along one of the footpaths, I saw a woman coming towards me. She smiled, I I said good morning, and for some reason I, I turned and followed her. I grabbed hold of her. I asked her to go into the bushes with me, but, but, but she refused and struggled to get away. She took me out of it and offered me 17 shillings. I jumped on my cycle and rode away. In his statement, Alfred conveniently forgot a few key details. Like how he perched his blue bike by the park gate so he could seek out lone females. Why his saddlebag contained an eight-inch sheath knife and a foot and a half long axe. How he stalked her up an isolated path, dazed her with the axe's blunt curved butt, dragged her into a dense thicket, strangled her, raped her, stole her money and fled. But to him... She was just a stranger who meant nothing but sex. Patricia Birch gave the police a detailed description of the attacker. Young, dark-haired, spotty with a cleft chin. He rode a blue bike with white mudguards and a black saddlebag. He was scruffy-looking, like he'd come off a building site, and wore a crumpled blue shirt, green gabardine trousers, brown leather gloves, and brown crepe-soled shoes. By then, Alfred had fled. But having already raped once that day, and with his insatiable sexual lust clouding his every thought, he cycled a further 15 miles southeast to Oxshot Heath to rape again. Spotted by two builders, You know what? That looks a lot like Alf. The police were called. The suspect was identified, and at 6.30pm, Constables Oliver and Howard spotted the young man walking down Sandy Lane. A dark, isolated country road, lined with a dense thicket of trees, and no one else in sight. What's your name, son? Alfred Whiteway. Which was true. Address? 24 Sydney Road in Teddington. Which was true. Empty your pockets. Which he did, but it only contained ten shillings and two bike clips. So where's your bike? I left it at home. Which was a lie, 
as he'd stashed it in the bushes with his saddlebag. You got a bag? Nah, just what I got. Had the officers searched him then, instead of later at the police station, down his left leg, they would have spotted a 20-inch axe, still flecked with the blood of four women, with one more victim to add, as he lay in wait on Sandy Lane for another lone female. But they didn't. Driven in the back of the police's Black Wolsey saloon, Alfred was calm, pleasant, and feigned a genuine interest in cars. As with the axe in his hand, he leaned forward to get a better look at the speedometer. And as I was chatting to the copper, watching him in the mirror, I pushed it under the driver's seat. At roughly 7pm, at Kingston Police Station, Detective Inspector Bramall dismissed the spotty youth as a viable suspect. And Alfred Charles Whiteway walked free. So how did such a violent and dangerous predator slip under the police radar? Alfred Charles Whiteway was born in Teddington on the 21st of June 1931. As the middle child of eight, with two older brothers, three older sisters and two younger sisters, with one sister mentally disabled, one brother crippled by shell shock, their father unable to work as a labourer owing to terminal cancer, and their frazzled mother ran ragged by too many chores and so little money. Being crammed into three small rooms in a tiny council flat, Alfred slept on the kitchen floor, which he shared with his uncle Charles. Life was chaotic, impoverished and undisciplined. Educated at the nearby Stanley Road School, Alfred, known as Alf, was described as a bully who found it difficult to focus on anything but money, knives and girls. As a scrawny, jug-eared youth with a spotty face and a cleft chin, Alfred wasn't a hit with the girls. Even as he lifted weights to become a lean yet powerfully built teen, being burdened by a bad attitude and a habit of forcing himself on a female which he called seducing. He lost his virginity early and never lost his appetite for sex. Alfred believed that rather than earning it, he had the right to take whatever he desired. I'll go any distance to get a bit from a girl who hadn't had it before. On the 4th of June 1943, he was fined £5 and bound over for stealing torches from a house. He was 11 years old. Three months later, he stole a lady's purse, but was too young to be effectively punished. And charged with stealing a bicycle, age 15, Alfred was sent to the Cotswold Approved School, a ball stall for young boys with emotional and behavioural problems. Described as angry and difficult, Alfred was rude, unruly and violent. He was obsessed with knives, fixated by sex, cruel to animals 
and was sexually aggressive towards the female teachers. Having dreamed of earning an honest wage, learning a skill, and seeing the world, like many of his pals who had enlisted, Alfred applied for national service. He was young, strong, and physically fit. But being so short-sighted, he could barely read, let alone spot a relative from across the street. He was declared unfit to serve and returned home with his pride severely dented. For the next three years, he drifted between temporary jobs, whether unloading vans, building walls, or chopping down trees. And his love life was no better. In April 1951, 16-year-old Nellie Mae Jones and her friend Diane Isaacs went to Bushy Park, a royal park over the river which borders Teddington, Hampton Hill and the Thames Towpath. Covering 1,100 acres of rutting deer, paddling ponds, dense woods and meandering paths, it's a popular place where kids feel safe and was large enough to still feel peaceful as the two young girls played on the swings. Being perched on his blue bike, 20-year-old Alfred spied on the two young girls. Only he didn't speak to them. He didn't approach them. Instead, he just watched, waited, and many hours later, he followed them through the park, over the river, and up the towpath a full mile to their homes. By 10pm, unnerved by the stranger pushing his bike slowly behind them, as the girls snuck up a dark unlit alley at the back of their homes on the Lower King's Road, as Diane darted into number 13, it was only when Nellie was by herself that Alfred made his move. It's okay. Don't be afraid. I just wanted to talk to you. And although an odd approach, having found him to be shy, charming, and a little bit dishy, they talked for ten minutes. He asked her out on a date. And four months later, he asked her to marry him. It was a whirlwind romance for the two young lovers. But it wouldn't be easy. Aged just 16 and too young to legally wed, Nellie's recently widowed mother had refused to give them her blessing. And for good reason. Alfred was unemployed, impolite, and a convicted thief. She didn't like him, she didn't trust him, and she didn't let him into their home at 11 Lower King's Road. So in a peak of teenage petulance, with their intimate relations limited to a few fumblings in Bushy Park, some sticky twists on the towpath, or rebelliously sex up the alley behind her mother's house. To force the hand of marriage, Nellie and Alfred got pregnant. On the 27th of February 1952, they married. And on the 20th of May, baby Christina was born. Only as Nellie's mother had warned, 
Alfred wasn't there to provide for his wife and child, as at the time of the birth, he was serving six months in prison for theft and burglary. Alfred Charles Whiteway wasn't a crazed homicidal maniac with a string of assaults, rapes, and murders in his wake. At worst, he was little more than a troubled youth, a bad parent, and a very selfish boy, who, like many young men, had an odd fixation with knives and sex. But he wasn't a killer. His first known attack was on Sunday, the twenty-fourth of May, nineteen fifty-three. Nine days before the Queen's coronation, three weeks before the rape of Patricia Birch, and one week before the double murder of two best friends. At ten thirty a.m., fourteen-year-old Kathleen Ringham went for a walk with her dog on Oxshott Heath. She would state, "I saw a man on a blue bike." With a blue shirt, go by. As I got to an isolated path, I heard a bicycle behind me. I felt a blow on the back of my head. I was dazed and dragged into the bushes. I struggled to fight him off. He pulled up my blouse and pulled off my shorts. And then, before he put his person inside me, he asked me how old I was. I said I was fourteen. I didn't scream, as it was a lonely spot, and I was worried that he would put his hands around my throat again. After he got off, I tried to get up, but I felt dizzy. My head was hurting. With a pain in her head and blood in her eyes, Kathleen gave a vivid description of her attacker, whose spotty face, blue bike, brown gloves, black saddle bag. Crape-soled shoes, and twenty-inch-long yellow and black axe, would later prove a positive match to the attack one month later on Patricia Birch. Evidence was slim, no name was given, and police knew of no known suspect who matched this very unique attacker. So ultimately, the investigation stalled. And although Detective Inspector Bramall. Had mistakenly released a credible suspect who had no prior convictions for rape or assault. Detectives had already begun questioning Alfred Charles Whiteway in connection with the rapes of Kathleen Ringham, Patricia Birch, and the double rapes and murders of Barbara Songhurst and Christine Reed. But by then, one very crucial piece of evidence had gone missing. Twenty-eighth of June, nineteen sixty-three, four thirty p.m. Statement by Alfred Charles Whiteway. Three weeks ago, I went for a ride on my cycle to see a friend in Englefield Green. I couldn't see her. Although deliberately misleading, in that statement, Alfred admitted to the minor offence of robbery and not rape. But having been positively identified by Kathleen and Patricia. The police had enough evidence to detain and question him, whilst all three cases were investigated. Twenty-ninth of June, nineteen fifty-three, 
I am Detective Constable Virgo of Richmond CID. On the night of Sunday the 31st of May 1953, two girls were murdered on the Teddington Lock towpath. Where were you at the time? In a statement backed up by his wife, Alfred denied any connection to the murders. At that time, I was with my wife and child in Canberra Gardens until gone 11.30pm, one mile south of the crime scene. I didn't go near Teddington Lock. I rarely do. I cycled home by Kingston Bridge. A longer route which avoids the towpath. I didn't stop. I went straight home and got in about 5 to 12, as seen by my Uncle Charles. And although he admitted that he knew Barbara, they lived on our road a few years ago. Barbara was about six, but I haven't seen her since, and I don't know Christine. Which was true. With no axe, no knife, and no witnesses, Alfred knew that the murders couldn't be pinned on him. But then again, he hadn't met Detective Superintendent Herbert Hannon, who was smart, cunning, and worst of all, devious. 1st July 1953, 10.12pm. I am Detective Superintendent Herbert Hannon, inquiring into the murders of Barbara Songhurst and Christine Reed. I want to ask you a few questions. But Alfred wasn't playing ball. Nah, I'm keeping my mouth shut. Otherwise you'll bloody pin it on me. I had nothing to do with them girls. You know I'd go any distance to get a bit from a girl who hasn't had it before. But I'd never go that far. But Hannah knew he had. He just needed to prove it. But this was proving fruitless. Having taken blood and saliva samples, although a search of Alfred's home discovered the blue bike, the brown gloves, the crepe-soled shoes, and the black saddle bag, no knife or axe was found. In fact, having hidden it under the driver's seat of the police car, the axe had since gone missing. On the 8th of July, with Alfred Whiteway formally charged over the rapes of Patricia and Kathleen, as he awaited his sentence, Hannon had more time to question him and more chances to make him slip. Hannon's questions were nothing interesting, just a series of dull questions about Alfred's routine. Questioned about his route to and from his wife's house. Sometimes I ride along the towpath and overlock bridge. His obsession with knives. I keep some in my saddlebag for throwing at trees. The knives' blades. It's a 12-inch Gurkha knife and an 8-inch sheath knife. His route to the trees at Oldham Lock. I cycle over Kingston Footbridge and pass my swimming places by Teddington Lock. I know that bit of the towpath well. And as he nervously gambled with the devious detective, Alfred even admitted that the last time he could recall throwing his 20-inch black and yellow axe at a tree was at Oldham Lock, where the two girls were last seen a few hours before their murders. Hannon was compiling a confession, but he needed something concrete. 
on the 5th of July, the same day that Alfred pleaded guilty at the Old Bailey to the rape of Patricia Birch and Kathleen Ringham, Constable Arthur Koch of Kingston Police Station made a startling realisation. Whilst cleaning out a Black Woolsey saloon before his shift, under the driver's seat, he found an axe. But instead of handing it in, he took it home and used it to chop off firewood on the concrete floor. Three weeks later, realising its significance, PC Kosh handed the axe to Detective Hannon. But by that point, any fingerprints were missing, any blood traces were gone, the blade was blunt, and although the curved butt exactly matched the wounds to the girls' heads, it was inadmissible as evidence. Without it, the entire case would collapse, unless Hannon could secure a confession from the killer. Alfred Whiteway was now a convicted rapist, and although his statements were shaky and the physical evidence was weak, there was no way that Hannon would let him walk free on a technicality. So what he did next was highly unethical. On the 30th of July, 1953, having repeatedly interviewed his heavily pregnant wife, as much to fact-check his lies as to get under Alfred's skin, Hannon showed his evidence. First, the Gurkha knife that police had dredged out of Oldham Lock, at which Alfred barely blinked. Oh, you got that out of the water, did you? Second, Alfred's bloodstained shoe, which was too faint to group, a tiny detail that Hannon failed to mention. And as the young boy turned pale and began to tremble, Alfred spluttered, You bloody well know it was me, don't you? At which, thinking this key piece of evidence was lost forever, Hannon thudded onto the table. The axe... It was inadmissible in a court of law, but Alfred didn't know that. It's all up. You bloody well know I done it. That's buggered me. I, I can't stop myself. I must have a woman. I, I didn't mean to kill him. I, I never wanted to hurt anyone. And with that, Hannon had his confession. Alfred Charles Whiteway was charged with the murders of Barbara Songhurst and Christine Reed. Tried at the Old Bailey, he denied all charges and stated that the police had fabricated his statement. But with a unanimous jury finding him guilty, on the 23rd of December 1953, he was hanged at Wandsworth Prison. A killer was dead, the streets were safe, and just as he had promised, justice had returned to Teddington. But several details about the attack still bothered Detective Superintendent Herbert Hannon. Alfred Whiteway was a serial rapist 
who attacked lone females in isolated spots. His motive was sex. His victims were strangers. He felt no anger towards them, only lust. And his method of attack never deviated. He chose at random. Each girl was spotted, stalked, struck, dazed, dragged, stripped, raped. And although bloodied and traumatized, all of them were left alive, except Barbara and Christine. But why? Why rape and murder two young girls at the same time? What if one screamed or got away? The truest words that Alfred ever stated was during his confession. He said, I, d I didn't mean to kill him. I, I never wanted to hurt anyone. And yet, for whatever reason, something drove him to kill. Sunday the 31st of May 1953 was a glorious sunny day. Perfect for a little riverside picnic for two best friends and their pals. But for Nellie and Alfred Whiteway, married life had soured. And as they strolled through Cambry Gardens, with one baby wailing, a second baby due, no home, no job, and their fights becoming more frequent. Although they kissed and made up, at 11pm, Alfred cycled away to make his way home. He wasn't angry or upset, but as the couple's sex life had stalled, his insatiable urges lay unsated. At 11.10pm, having cycled one mile north to Kingston Footbridge, I know that bit of the towpath well. With the moonless sky all dark and cloudy, occasionally spotting a lone female cycling by the dense thicket at Teddington Lock, his urges stirred. You know I'd go any distance to get a bit from a girl who hasn't had it before. Hiding behind a tree, Alfred waited. His bike hidden, his bag stashed, his axe in his hand, and an erection in his pants. He didn't care who. A stranger's a stranger. And being used to taking whatever he desired... All they meant to him was sex. The lock was the perfect place for a rapist to lurk. But not one with bad eyesight, who was so short-sighted he could barely read or spot a relative across the street. At 11.15pm, as Barbara and Christine left the picnic at Petersham Meadows, and cycled south past Oldham Lock. Their rickety bikes clattered down the dark and even towpath as the girls rode in tandem. Barely illuminated by the single yellowy bike light she had borrowed, Barbara cycled ahead, singing as she often did, as unlit by a broken bulb, a slightly shy Christine meekly followed behind her. 15 minutes later, as Alfred lay in wait, hidden by a tree, his eyes saw only one bike light, not two. His ears heard only one voice singing, not two. 
and thinking she was a lone female, with the curved blunt butt of his axe, Alfred struck and knocked Barbara clean off her bike. She came round that tree where I was stood. I bashed her no harder than that girl in the park, and she went down like a log. Hearing the bike fall, as Christine stopped a few feet short, seeing a man, an axe, and her best friend lying bloodied and slumped, Christine panicked. I only saw one girl, and then the other one screamed. With his perfect plan smashed, and at the risk of her fleeing, I nipped over to shut her up. With four swift blows to her head, he rendered her dazed, immobile and disorientated, but not dead. Having dragged both girls into the dense dark thicket, for Alfred, although things had gone awry, the maths were very simple. Two virgins, one rapist, and an insatiable sexual urge to satisfy. So in a shift to his plan, as they struggled, he strangled, stripped, and raped both girls as they lay side by side. Except, with a pain in her head and blood in her eyes, even as she drifted in and out of consciousness, there was nothing wrong with Barbara's eyesight. Alfred? Alfred Whiteway? She knew his name, she knew his face. She knew where he lived. And then I tumbled. She knew me. If it hadn't been for that, none of this would have happened. In a blind, angry panic, he snatched the sheath knife from his saddlebag and in a swift, frenzied attack, stabbed both girls to death. With Christine laying face up and his old neighbour Barbara face down. So he didn't have to look into the petrified eyes of the little girl who he last saw when she was six. Being dead, he dragged both girls down the grassy slope, their blood staining the coping stones and the oak timbers of the lock wall. And as he cast both bodies out into the dark black river, the tidal waters carried them upstream and he hoped out to sea. He took the weapons, dumped the bikes, mistakenly left behind his green gabardine raincoat, and he believed he had got away with murder. Across the five-day trial at the Old Bailey, the defence counsel for Alfred Whiteway picked holes in the evidence, stated that the confession was a complete fabrication, and they questioned the ethics of this highly experienced but devious detective who always got the job done. With the eyewitness testimony of 14-year-old Catherine Ringham deemed irrelevant by the judge and the acts inadmissible, basing their conclusion on circumstantial evidence and a dubious confession, the jury took less than 45 minutes to find Alfred Whiteway guilty and his appeal was later dismissed. On the 12th of November 1953, six weeks before his execution, 
Alfred sent the detective a handwritten letter from prison. It read, Why you made up that false confession, I can't say. But you knew your word would be more accepted than mine. I played into your hands too easily. You were so positive that it was me that you risked a lot to have me hanged. Well, you were successful. A second letter Alfred sent to his own mother. It read, I'll tell you this, Ma. I've done some rotten things in my life, but this time they are wrong. I never did it, but I still reckon I deserve to die for that Oxshot affair. So if anyone brings that up against me, you tell them they're wrong. Your loving son, Alfred. Whether the detective had lied, we shall never know. But the sentence brought closure to the grieving families. The girls were buried. A new era was ushered in with a new queen. And just as Herbert Hannon had promised, peace had returned to Teddington, as the Thames Topath murderer was dead. This episode is dedicated to the memory of Barbara Songhurst and Christine Reed, two best friends who lived as they died, side by side. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to Murder Mile. That was the final part of the Thames Topath murders. Next week, something different. And if you love a bit of pointless waffle, Extra Mile is up next. Before that, a big thank you to my new Patreon supporters, who are Shane Kinnear, Catherine Williams, Cecilia Chang, Sharon Simmons, Michelle Ann Rogers, and Lawrence McGee. I thank you all muchly for your support. Also a thank you to Dawn Smith for your very kind donation via my website. I thank you. And, I'm feeling very spoiled here, John Lee, Anna Mick and Mike Hughes, who weren't put off by that really annoying advert that Acast forced into each episode earlier, which I've since deleted, and have donated via the supporter link in the show notes. I thank you all too. And as always, a huge thank you to everyone who listens to this show. This show is for you. Murder Mile was researched, written and performed by myself, with the main musical themes written and performed by Eric Stein and John Books of Cult with No Name. Thank you for listening, and sleep well. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Holy shit. That was... A beast! That was a beast! Hello everyone, it's extra mile time. <laughs> oh, extra mile time. Holy shit, that was a hard one to do. Hard one to do. Lots of voices. Oh, lots of voices and... Oh, I can't open a window. Lots of voices, all intermingled, all crossing over. Oh, dear. Oh, God! And only partway through, I was like, I, I changed how I was going to do Alfred's voice and then... oh oh dear lord that's gonna be i mean it's a long episode anyway i reckon this is gonna be a 40 minute i reckon and this is gonna take at least four and a half days to edit oh goodbye my chance of a sunday off anyway extra mile time uh let me let me do my coffee because i need a little bit more coffee uh oh gonna do a, cha- a slight change to uh extra mile this week because uh, uh, each week I've kind of not been trying to give away too much about this case because I didn't want to spoil the ending about what it, what it was really about, that it's not really a serial killer. It's, it's a serial rapist and it's a case of mistaken identity and, you know, he's bad eyesight and darkness and, you know, things like that. Uh, so obviously I've been leaving a lot of details out. Um uh and, and not able to really use them in extra miles so what i'm going to do uh because there's a lot that i really want to cover w- hopefully with this episode what you might notice is, is i'll do an extra extra mile which is a special to do with this so what i'm going to do is after i finish recording all these and editing it i'm going to sit down i'm just going to go through everything that we've done so everything we've covered and go through all the statements and bits and pieces and you know but like an hour-long thing where i could just go right these are the bits this is what i couldn't tell you then this is what i can tell you now it's kind of it's all quite interesting so and you know read some of the statements in full and things like that so that'll be good that'll be interesting um i've got some nice interesting cakes with me now uh uh yesterday we did i did a socially distanced coffee and cake with my friend amy amy uh by the time you listen to this amy this will be december so this will be the, the coffee we had last night in september but Amy very kindly bought me some things. So, uh, some vegan mince pies, which were very good. Joe, you know I've had two already. We only met last night, and I had two last night while watching Bake Off. And I have to say, they're called Ogs, Luxury Handmade Mince Pies. Are they vegan or are they not? I wonder if they're not. Maybe they are. They probably are. Yeah, they are. Do you know what? They didn't taste it. They didn't taste vegan. They tasted really nice. They were really nice. Really, really tasty. And if, if someone would have said they're vegan, I would not have been able to guess that at all. they good flavouring to them. So I ate two of those. And then we had some uh, uh, King's Vegan Jerky, or oh, Veggie Jerky. Plant-based, meat-free jerky. And it's uh, black bean flavoured. And it's, it's funny, if you have jerky, it's quite chewy, isn't it? It's a little bit weird and there's a, a flavour to it. Um... But this is funny. These look these look like dog treats. <laughs> they really do. Those kind of dark, long, flexible 
dog treats that the smell of beef and these have a black bean flavor so they're very nice they're, they're a little bit tangy but they smell they smell a cross between a pet shop and a chinese food shop do you know chinese supermarket so they smell of that anyway but that was really nice it was a nice chance to meet up with uh amy and um hopefully police constable arsenal guinness oh just to say i'm near town police constable arsenal guinness so hopefully uh back in town soon hopefully the the tools will be kicking off soon so we can meet up and have a pint of the black stuff your favorite your favorite or maybe a porter that'd be nice maybe we go to porthouse anyway just put my coffee on oh. i was gonna do something this i was gonna have a coffee halfway through halfway through this because this was a long record and I was getting tired and people are going past on the towpath and oh, oh, making a lot of noise. Uh, right. Oh, so uh, I'm going to make it. So as I was saying, there'll be the extra, extra, extra mile after this uh, uh, that you can listen to. So what I'm not, not going to do, I'm not going to cover a lot of stuff to do with this episode in here because we'll do it in that one. So I'll, I'll this will be more if you just want waffle. This is more waffle. But let's do questions and then we'll do some more waffle. Waffle, waffle, waffle. Right. Okay. Questions. Some will appear in the episode. Some I might edit out. Uh, I'm not too sure which. Some I'll probably cock up. So, whew, deep breath. Whoa. Right. Question one. Easy one. What was Alfred's middle name? Nice and easy. Uh, question two. Uh, what street did both Alfred Whiteway and the Songhurst family once live on? Ooh, exciting. I'm going to check my pictures later on because I did, I, I took pictures of that street and a video of it, which you can see on uh, my YouTube account. I'll put it on social media. It'll be on, uh, but it, as always, it's early on Patreon. So Patreon people got loads of goodies last week. Last week's episode was literally, I had to apologise and say there's a lot. And there's a lot of photos. And all the original crime scene photos are there. All the original autopsy pictures are there. I won't be sharing them anywhere else. That's, that's all. Because uh, at the moment, Patreon kind of is my main income. Because the tours are gone. Uh, and advertising sales are shit. So that is basically my income at the moment. So uh, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going through Patreon. Uh, you can join for just $3 a month. Very good. Very good. Very cheap. Uh, cheap, but good value. Uh, so that was that street. So yeah, I took a picture of that street. And then I, I uh, only afterwards did I realise how close Nelly, um, sorry, Nelly, the Songhurst family and the Whiteway family lived to each other. Uh, question three, a sexy one. Uh, which places were Nelly and Alfred Whiteway forced to have sex in as Nelly's mother refused to let Alfred into the house? Uh, says that the name you can name one place or you can name two but there's actually three technically uh, question four what was detective hannon's nickname uh question five what was the name of the officer who took the axe home Ooh. there's a clue he's named after a weapon as well uh, of course, police constable Arsenal Guinness wouldn't take evidence home unless it was Guinness. Of course. <laughs> he does do other things, I'm sure, I'm sure. He does do more other things than just drink Guinness and watch Arsenal. Watch Arsenal lose. Uh, question <laughs> question six. Uh, why was the axe inadmissible as evidence? Ooh. 
couple of reasons on that one. Question seven. Uh, what was the name of the policeman who dismissed Alfred Whiteway as a suspect? Uh, Question eight. How far south of the murder scene did Nellie Whiteway live? I know that well because I've cycled it many times to get to that house and to get to the alley behind the house. More about that shortly. Question nine. When Alfred was initially questioned by the by the police on Oxshot Heath what your burpees what did the police find in his pockets they found two things in his pockets what did they find well two different things and question 10 a nice easy one what did they not find right okay okay let's see what else is going on uh so it's all good we're uh all uh, doing our thing at the moment aren't we we're all doing the, the the coronavirus dance at the moment which is all good uh, one thing i realized the other day everyone else probably realizes this as well lack of touching people it's kind of weird now isn't it like six months on you you know i'm so used to kind of meeting people and giving them a hug or shaking their hands and you can't do it anymore and it's kind of it's getting to the point where it's like ah, oh, missing touching people not touching people in that kind of way uh but just touching people is weird isn't it even like walking along the towpath like because we're not touching anymore we're kind of not saying hello anymore as much as well to strangers we're kind of avoiding people or and and i find that i'm avoiding people's eye light eye as well so you, i tend to skirt around people and not look at them and not talk to them not because i'm being rude but it's kind of you know you're opening your mouth and you could be spreading your germs so i always i keep my gob shut uh, but now it's like someone walked past me the other day and went hello and I was like uh, oh oh hello and I forgot that in the old days I used to pass people all the time and say hello because I'm from the country and that's what we do uh, when I first came to London years ago I said hello to a policeman because back where I come from we know all we you know your local policeman our local policeman for those who went to uh, my school will know it's PC Young pc young who i think was on a uh, school patrol like look after schools because he, he was slightly i think he was too large to chase down criminals uh but uh, we all knew him and we all had a good joke with him and you used you, you knew your policeman you could have a giggle with him but when i came to london i said hello to the first policeman i saw and i got an evil look and he was like what's that scrope doing and it's like i'm just saying hello mate <laughs> it's what we do oh anyway anyway so let's see what else is here uh so we've got the questions um interesting fact because the queen's coronation happened uh around the time that uh, they were searching for the bodies of barbara songhurst and christine reed uh when the river was being searched by the police who i'll point out they they fully drained the th three mile section of the river for um it was only about an afternoon because it's a lot of river and it's a lot of space and there was a lot going on there was a regatta going on for the jubilee and all that so it was only fully drained for an afternoon but it was it was partially drained for the next six days the six days up until the po point they found christine reed's body then they could then they re uh open the sluices um but because most of the newspapers were focused on the coronation very little except locally was focused on the fact uh of the 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 girls who had who'd been murdered their bodies had been found because don't forget by that point only one had been found and the police hadn't really announced very much about it uh so a lot of people were kind of watching the police watching the boats whizzing by watching the police divers stuff like that uh 
And because there were already airplanes flying over, people thought it was part of the display for the coronation. So they're like, oh, this is exciting. They didn't realise that actually they were looking for uh, two dead girls and uh, some missing bikes and clothes and things like that. Uh, very sad very sad uh what else have we got um i'm gonna i'm gonna if i can remember i'll try and put a link to the this in the show notes but i think I, you may have heard me mention a while ago that i did ages ago i did a little blog piece about serial killers and their birthdays and someone unfortunately nabbed it they they clipped it off my blog and then they used it elsewhere which you know it's fine they took out all my details and it's been and i was like oh it's amazing something i i created has, has become a meme and it's shared on over all the forums and you've probably seen it and it's really frustrating uh because it, nothing was linking back to murder mile so what i did i thought instead of chasing it down and Joe, some people very kindly chased it down from wind and did a little thing saying, uh, "Hey, this is Joe Murdermile created this." Da, 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 da. Uh, uh, you know, this is this is theirs. Just so you know. And what I realised is, as the phrase goes, it's like that's like uh, uh, shutting the barn door after the horse is bolted or whatever it is. So I thought, you know what? Let's do something different. So because the original list of serial killers' birthdays, there was only fifty on there because I chose them at random. I thought, right. I'm going to do because some people would look at it and go, oh, my birthday's not on there. And I thought, OK, well, let's do it. Let's do the let's do the full 366 days. So that's including leap years. Whoa, it almost killed me. That was a, that was a good, solid couple of weeks of research because you go through it and you think, oh, well, I'll just add in all the serial killers. And then you're like, you know, you, you, you put in your Ted Bundy's and your Jeffrey Dahmer's and your Dennis Nielsen's and all that. And then occasionally you have two that are on the same day. So luckily at the start on the leap year. Uh, is Aileen Warnos and uh, the Night Stalker Richard Ramirez. So they're both born on Olympia, so that was lucky, because that would have been a real bitch of a day to find. So I was like, that's great, two biggies, I'll put them both in there. But then you start going through, and then you start realising a lot of serial killers are born on the same day, and then other dates, nothing. So I was like, oh, shit, I got, I used up all the big serial killers. And then I was like, right, let's go into some obscure serial killers. And I was having to go through countries all over the world. Like, do you know, all the Russian ones, all the Chinese ones, all the Indian ones, all all the really remote ones in countries that you think, oh, is that even a country still? It's, it was really interesting. And then I was like, then I ran out of serial killers. So I started focusing on mass murderers and spree killers and then murderers. And then I was like, right, now I need to start adding in Nazis and terrorists. And, oh, Jesus. And then I, it, I had to start going, right, I have to start going through. I went through everyone who's on death row. And that's the hard bit. It's trying to find people's dates of birth, or sometimes with with murderers as well. They tend they tend to not use their accurate dates of birth. So I think there's only three on there where I've put a little asterisk that says this is unconfirmed, but this is as near as we can get to the birthday. But I did it. It took me a bloody long time. Uh, my birthday there's there's five serial killers, but they've each only got one on them, just to make it consistent. And it's always it's always I think the biggest one. So uh, I'll put a link to that. That's in the show notes, or if you go to uh the murder mile shop and in the free stuff because there's a free stuff section where you can get ringtones and all that um if you go to quizzes i've put it in the quizzes so you can download i think it's like eight quizzes now which are all good fun you can have that for free so that's there or you can go to my blog by just typing serial killer birthdays it's murder mile and boop there it goes and i've put high quality versions in there so you're welcome to share them with whoever you like i've branded them and I've put a, uh, a a watermark on them that says Murder Mile. So finally, so even if someone starts trying to erase all the bits where I've written Murder Mile, it's still got my watermark on it. So, 
Oh dear. Uh, what else are we doing? Uh, oh yeah. So I briefly mentioned this. So I apologise slightly for this. Uh, Acas got in touch and said, "Oh, because uh, uh, they don't—they didn't know that people very kindly already kind of sponsor the podcast with very kind donations, which is great. I, it kind of happened accidentally. They didn't know that had happened, and they set up a thing called Supporter on Acast." which is a system where people can donate without having to, you know, uh, uh, subscribe to Patreon, but they can donate a kind of one-off donation, which is really kind of people, and it really helps keep the podcast alive. ACAS get a little cut of it, and then it come, the rest comes back to me. Um, but when they were setting up, they didn't really explain it, and they said you need a bit of a... Um, uh, and or a bit of audio at the start, like 30 seconds. And I thought, oh, okay, well, that will be audio when someone's... This would be what my common sense says, that when someone has donated, it says, hi, this is Mike. Thank you so much for giving a donation. Or in advance of it, it's like, hey, if you fancy donating to a murder, blah, 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 blah. So I put that on there thinking when people donate or go to donate, they press the button and they hear my voice and that encourages them to donate. What I didn't realise was that Acast were going to use it and put it on the start of every bloody episode I do. So uh, I... When I when I heard it was on there, I got really fed up with it, and I was like, "This is bloody annoying," so I've deleted it. Uh, I don't put those those in. It's Acast. They have a, a section where they can put adverts in, and they just they just, they had an advert in there. They put if you're in the UK, there was an advert for Medical Detectives, which I'll mention shortly. That was in there, and this, and I felt it was too much. So I I, I would rather not make money off that than have you guys annoyed by it so uh yeah i think that's my thing i prefer i prefer that you're happy than than me to make a bit more money it's it's like with with why extra mile is attached to murder mile i know some people go why do you force me to listen to extra mile why didn't you put it as an extra episode and the problem is if i put it as an extra episode like a separate episode it would be great for me because i would get double the, the number of downloads which means i'd i'd earn almost twice as much uh for advertising sales which would be fantastic but i know that i'd get more people say why are you forcing me to download an extra episode that i don't like which is why it's on the end of extra mile because it's an extra it's additional that's the, yeah so I, I lose money off that but it's 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 just just so people don't get upset about it i'd rather i'd rather people were happy and listening to murder mile and make the choice to switch off at a certain point and and zip through the adverts if you don't like them i don't like adverts to be honest uh so yeah i'd rather i'd rather make it easier for you and happy than you know have these things where you're just like oh not this again uh as mentioned if you're in the uk there, there was an advert you would have heard last week i hope you guys don't mind it was a one-off bespoke advert uh a bit broke at the moment and uh they came forward and said would you be willing to do this and it was an advert for some crime shows in the uk called medical detectives which i think in america is called forensic detective oh no forensic files i think it's called in america and then there was murder by the sea uh yeah, I'll be honest, I don't watch true crime shows anymore. I spend all day doing true crime. When, when my time's off. I like to listen to something funny. Oh, I watch, I'm into Bake Off at the moment. I don't listen to true crime at all. I just I can't be arsed with it. I'm really, really, really bored with it. Uh, except in my own research, which I enjoy. That's the bit I enjoy is the research. I don't enjoy watching because a, a lot of them I think are really crappy. There's a lot that's out there. I used to work, because I used to work for the BBC, a lot of the factual stuff is very, very cheaply made because they don't make a there's not a lot of money in it so like big comedy shows 
I'll be honest, some of the big comedy shows that you watch at the moment, some some of them are about, some of the really big ones are about half a million per episode. That's how much it costs to make. Even if they're in a studio and it's the same sets and the same people, they're very expensive. An episode of Dad's Army to repeat is close to £100,000 to repeat just for just for uh, royalty fees. Very expensive. Uh, whereas factual programmes tend to be quite cheap. They tend to be about 30 to 50 grand. They can be quite cheap. Uh, which is why they tend to churn them out. So that's why they're really badly done. But I think they should be done uh, properly. So just to say this advert was for Medical Detectives and Murder by the Sea. I watched them in advance. They sent me screeners for the new series. I watched them. I thought they were quite I thought they were quite interesting. I thought you might like them. So I did the advert and I needed the money. Mostly I needed the money. So uh they're out at the moment. It's a little not a lot comes my way, but it's a little bit of extra cash which should help because I'm doing repairs to the boat soon. Uh right. Um uh so uh 14 more episodes to come until the end of the year. So I think the last proper episode will be Christmas Day if my timing is right because that's a Thursday this year, uh, which is good Boxing Day, Friday, which means a good day to go to the pub, if the pub's still open. Uh, and then I will probably do a uh, final kind of wrap-up of the year, and then that's it, and then I'll be off for a little while. Uh, but for the next four weeks, uh, I'm, I'm going to do something that's very different. Uh, this, give, this is something I've been meaning to do for a while, so it's four episodes... You don't have to save them up. They're, they're, they're four-parters, but you can listen to them every week. There's, there's, if you're one of these people who goes, oh, I like to binge, these, it doesn't matter. You, doesn't, it, you just listen to them. It doesn't matter. You won't lose anything by not listening to them out of sequence. Uh, and then we'll come back with 10 regular Murder Mile episodes. I'm not going to end the series this year with a big multi-parter. I've got a kind of a... a I think it'll be a three or a four-parter I'll end with this this year. Uh, and there's a couple of interesting episodes I'm looking forward to do. But I, but uh, So the next four weeks will give me a chance to do the, the four-parter I need to do and to research the next ten episodes, and then we can finish the year. And then I can have some time off. Very tired. Very tired now. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to make sure I get a, at least a Sunday off a week, but... Uh, this weekend because of the size of this episode and because i'm a day behind already i know sunday is gone uh anyway uh what's happening boat life boat life wise uh all good getting ready for winter it's starting to get cold it's starting to get a bit dark at about seven o'clock now uh so i'm getting all my logs in i'm near a kind of a cheapy b&m store and they do they do uh fire logs for one pound bags of kindling 250 and big bags of logs four pound and i know that in a month's time all those prices are going to go because everyone's going to go oh it's getting cold let's all get our stuff in so I'm stocking up on logs and fire lighters and all that so i'm ready for winter gonna get my gas this week my coal this week uh it's nice all the spiders have gone which is good spiders have uh, uh rip'd which is good uh well didn't have a bad year for spiders this year last year was horrible i remember lying in bed and feeling one crawl over my face and i was like oh bloody spider and i looked and there was like four in my bed at the same time it was horrible oh so i bought loads of fire uh spider repellent kind of the the peppermint stuff but i didn't seem to need it this year and oddly i haven't seen a single earwig this year 
I think last year was infested with them. Oh, they were everywhere. They're, and they kept, because I've got a, a kind of a plastic screen over my, my windows. They would get between the screen and the window. And you, you go, why are you in there? How do you get in? How are you going to get out, you bloody thing? Oh, anyway, what's that? Oh, right. Uh, what else we got? Uh, oh, he's not there at the moment. But every morning there used to be a man outside my boat who every morning at about eight o'clock this is why i woke up early to start recording he'd he'd come he wakes up he stands on the canal looking outwards and he goes (laughs) just oh just all day with this horrible hacking cough and then he goes off and hides in the bushes a little bit creepy but he doesn't seem to be a problem he doesn't bother anyone he did i i I kept an eye on him because i was like is he checking out the boats but no i think he's just i think he's just a guy who just doesn't have anything to do and he hangs out there (sighs) so that was exciting coughing man uh oh cakes i didn't mention cakes well i did mention cakes i've got so i've got uh amy's uh mince pies which will go today i might risk some of the veggie jerky later on that's really potent stuff that really is and i've treated myself as well i've got some tesco's finest triple chocolate muffins they're about the size of a fist uh chocolate with chocolate sprinkles on top and inside is like a thick chocolate gooey center they're very good how many calories each who cares oh no expertly baked and made with generous chunks of smooth chilk smooth milk creamy white and intense dark chocolate for an indulgent treat there you go two for one pound fifty yeah how many calories in each per muffin 480 calories and i'm gonna have two in one go why because i'm a fat bastard and i can right that was good let's do the questions God, that episode has killed me. I'm really drained. <laughs> I've got nothing left. And I've got four days still to edit. Oh, I've got nothing. I've got nothing. Right. Uh, question one. What was Alfred's middle name? It was Charles. Uh, question number two. What street... Did both Alfred Whiteway and the Songhurst family once live on? That was Sydney Road. Looking at the streets, it's uh, interesting. I'll there's some picture. I'll put some pictures online because I did a little video there as well, and it's a very, very, uh, very old style, impoverished street kind of coal miners' houses in a very short, tight street, and at the end is kind of a. Uh, um, railway line running past and you can see that it was quite poor now but obviously you know these kind of houses are quite in vogue now so there's a lot of kind of there's some uh people who've lived there for decades in there but then there's new people moving in and going oh this is all posh and old isn't it so uh it's interesting but yeah though they, they live just three doors down from each other um uh, but there was no but, but between the families there was no connection there was that there was that small connection between barbara's brother danny who was the oldest son who 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 married june knight who uh alfred used to date but there was no animosity between them there was no hatred no 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 that so you'd kind of think oh well, maybe he hated him because you know because uh, uh oh he took his took his girl but there was none of that he did he, you know they broke up ages ago alfred wasn't that bothered june wasn't that bothered do you know 
So he knew Danny, but you know they weren't they weren't close, and he he wasn't close to Barbara either. So there's no real connection there. It's not like he he was saw her six years old and he went, oh, I fancy her. Do you know? It's just it's some it's someone who he kind of tenuously knew, didn't really think about. Uh, question three: Which places were Nellie and Alfred Whiteway forced to have sex in as as Nellie's mother refused to let Alfred in the house? Uh, it was. On the towpath, uh, in the parks, so in Bushy Park or Canbury Gardens, which is nearby to Nellie's house, or in the alley at the back of Nellie's home. Now, Nellie's home, as mentioned, is uh, 11 Lower Park, Lower Kings Road, just off Canbury Gardens. Very nice street. I went searching for it. Um, on all the official records, it says 11 Kings Road, but actually they changed they changed the names. It's it's a Kings Road and Lower Kings Road, so this is Lower Kings Road. So I finally found it, and I'd already, because I'd read all the witness statements, I knew that there was a connecting alley just behind the houses uh, from numbers 1 to 13 Lower Kings Road. So I was like, ah, oh, brilliant, because that's where, that's where uh, Alfred... Uh, kind of first spoke to Nelly. That's where their relationship started. That's also where they'd have sex. So I took a photo outside Eleven Kings Road, and then I was like, right, let's go round to the back of the house and let's take a picture of the alley. And I parked on my bike there, and I was like, oh great, the alley's still there, and it's still as it kind of looks. So I'll get my camera out and take a picture. And then I think the person who must live in Eleven Lower Kings Road must have saw me and come out into the alley, and then stopped and looked at me. And then it was really weird. It was like he crouched down on the floor. And because my eyesight's not particularly good anyway, uh, I, I was like, oh, it looks like he's fixing a fence or something or he's tying his shoelace. So I didn't know what he was doing. I thought, well, if I just stand here, uh, you know, uh, pretend I'm, I'm texting or something, I'll just, I'll just keep waiting. And then when he finally fucks, <laughs> when he finally disappears, then I can turn around and take the picture. And it was kind of a standoff. He he refused to move and was doing whatever he was doing. And I was like, oh, I need to take this picture. And I've cycled a bloody, like, over a mile extra to get here just to do this bloody alley. And I was like, oh, Jesus Christ. So, uh, yeah. So I disappeared off. Never saw him again. And then a week later, I came back down to Teddington to reshoot some of the videos and some of the extra. Because I'd done some extra research and there's extra stuff I wanted to add in. There's lots of videos uh, for this this series uh, and then as I went past I was like <laughs> I was cycling there and as I was getting nearer the alley I was already on my phone getting the camera ready and literally I stopped in front of the alley he wasn't there I went great took the picture and buggered off oh so when you see oh, do you know what I'll probably forget to add that picture in when you see that picture in uh, uh, social media or on the blog or whatever oh have a look at it and then go oh how much effort did i have to put in for that cool lummy right question four oh we're getting through them question four what was detective hannon's nickname his nickname was the count obviously because uh he put on posh affectations but he actually came from paddington and I think, as mentioned before, his father was from Warwickshire, I believe, and his mother was Irish. But he liked to pretend that he was posh. Um, in a lot of the, the paperwork, it's often listed that he is Chief Inspector Hannon as opposed to Detective Superintendent Hannon. Uh, I should point out that he was both. Uh, he would use the title of Chief Inspector, uh, but uh, Detective Superintendent was kind of his remit. 
So uh, that's higher than chief inspector. And he was, you know, he's, that denoted the remit of what he was responsible for. So to keep this consistent, even though he would turn up and go, I'm chief inspector Hannon, which is easier to say. I've kept it consistent because his actual title was detective superintendent. There we go. Uh, question five. Oh, my breath. What was the name of the officer who took the axe home? Slightly named after a weapon. His name was P.C. Kosh. P.C. Arthur Kosh. Uh, there's a photo of him going into court because he had to go into court to uh, join the trial to explain why he had taken the axe home and he looks very sheepish. Uh, question six. Uh, why was the axe inadmissible as evidence? Uh, he had blunted the axe while chopping up wood on a concrete floor and also because he'd used it uh, all of the blood and the fingerprints had been removed uh, just just simply by using it. Um, the, just so you know, the the axe, oh, I'm probably mentioning this an extra mile, the uh, axe uh, wasn't specially bought. Uh, I'll be mentioning all those in, in the, 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 the extra bit after this, but it's kind of like uh, his, it was just a family axe that they used to chop up wood. It wasn't something that he especially bought to... Uh, uh, to attack women with it's just i think it was his mother's to be honest um question seven what was the name of the policeman who dismissed alfred whiteway as a suspect that uh he was detective inspector bramall uh just after the trial he actually resigned uh, uh being a policeman uh, having realized what he'd done uh and interestingly uh very briefly mentioned in this episode uh, one of the policemen who interviewed Alfred Whiteway was Wally Virgo, who was uh, a lot of people say was a very, very corrupt cop and was charged with uh, fraud. Um, I don't really go much into him. I know people are slightly obsessed with, oh, let's do a story about corrupt cops. Not interested. Uh, just some things are just like gangsters. Oh, gangsters. So dull. Just hate anything to do with gangsters. I just find them twats. Oh, I've mentioned this a thousand times before. I hate gangsters. Ugh. Right, episode. Uh, episode. My head. Oh, brain is so tired. Question eight: How far south of the crime scene did Nellie Whiteway live? It was about a mile and a bit, or fifteen to twenty minutes on the bike. I know that because I've cycled it a lot, a lot. Uh, question nine: When did? Alfred, oh, question nine. Come on, learn to read, Michael. Uh, question nine. When Alfred was initially questioned on Oxshot Heath, or technically Sandy Lane, uh, what did the police find in his pockets? There were two things. It was ten shillings and two bicycle clips. And question ten. What did they not find? And that was the axe. Ooh. So that's that. That was uh oh God, I've been recording a long time. That was uh episode one oh nine of Murder Mile. Uh so we'll as mentioned we will do uh the special four parter, which is not a story, it's something different, so you can enjoy that. That'll be next week. That just adds a bit of a gear change to the series because probably the same as you, I get 
so many episodes into an ep- into a series and because if it's the same format you tend to get a bit fed up with it it's like oh same story again roughly do you know oh story about another paedophile oh another story about a killer oh. i think it's nice to have a gear change which is why mini miles in there which is why meander miles in there do you know i try and do 10 15 episodes and go right gear change deviate and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, scoot back again. And then all of a sudden you're like, you're like, oh, I remember why I like Murder Mile. And then I do 10 or 15 more episodes and then I do something different. I just try to make sure that people don't get bored of it. Because it is easy to get But I've switched off so many podcasts just because I'm bored of the same bloody stories again and again. Anyway, oh, that's that. Right, I'm done. I'm going to have some cake. I'm going to drink my coffee. And I'm going to try and edit this beast thank you very much everyone stay safe be good uh wear masks live a good life uh drink booze yeah and hopefully on monday i'm gonna have a chinese takeaway yeah have a good one be good bye planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.